Good morning. This is the day the Lord has made. As we gather together on the second Sunday of Advent, I am going to be inviting uh, Jan, Sonny, Sharon, uh, Sharon, and Janet to come forward, known as the usual suspects, to uh, light our Advent candles. We'll sing together the, uh, the tune that's at the beginning of our liturgy, and then we'll sing it again at the close of our liturgy. of hope is coming. May we experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard our hearts and minds as we live in Christ Jesus. And so as we gather together here today, may we now prepare ourselves on the second Sunday of Advent, prepare ourselves to continue in the journey that Advent brings us to.
after that first advent, the people of God said, come, oh, come, Emmanuel. This advent, we know that he has come, and yet ever once more, ask that he can come into our lives. Let's stand as we join together in our hymn of celebration 211, O come, O come, Emmanuel. repertoire of Christmas music from Alfred Burt and it was never published during his lifetime it was published after he died and it is really very very well beloved and known by almost all choral singers and singers all over the world this is by Alfred Burt some children see him some children see him 
stand fair. Some children sing bronzed and brown, for Lord of heaven to earth come down. Some children sing bronzed and brown, with dark and heavy I'm in uniform today to pause a moment on this, which is declared by Congress to be CAP Sunday, to share with you a few words from the Chaplain Corps of the Civil Air Patrol of the United States Air Force Auxiliary. December 2nd, 1941, one week before Pearl Harbor, the President of the United States establishes the Civil Air Patrol as civilian protection for our coastline even before we established the United States Air Force. Subsequently by Congress, CAP became a subsidiary of the Air Force and is now part of the total force of the Air Force, both reserve, guard, active, and auxiliary. All under Air Force One. All of our missions are directed under the Air Force and are funded through the Air Force. I serve in this capacity out in our local area as chaplain to Unit 61 in Camarillo, as well as in the serving deputy wing commander for California. In this capacity, we prepare ourselves for those incidents in our community and in our nation in which there may be the need for a focused attention for services that chaplains are required for. 
I am trained in emergency services, both for natural disaster, aviation disaster, and terrorist disaster. I'm trained in areas that can bring to people in those situations, as we triage, to bring them a stability and bring them an understanding of the ministry of presence. And so I'm very proud to be able to serve in this way and to be able to serve um, our country. Also, 75 years ago, we know, was the bombing of Pearl Harbor. And so today, I also recognize those who lost their lives. And as a nation, many are making their way to Pearl Harbor for that recognition. Uh, we know that we had a, su a survivor here in our congregation, Ernie Reapmaker, who was very proud of the service that he gave at Pearl Harbor. And we recognize those survivors, but also those who lost their lives. And so I call us today as part of the Chapin Corps to pause a moment just now to give sacred memory to those who lost their lives at Pearl Harbor, to give thanks for those who survived, and to ask God's blessing on our country. So gracious God, we take these next moments to be in silence. May we remember those who have died. May we consecrate their memories once more to you and to this nation. Thank you, O Lord, for the remembered dead, for families who still continue to grieve. We ask, O Lord, that in the midst of this world in which there is so much strife and war, that he who is the Prince of Peace, especially in this sacred time of the year, might raise his hand to nations and governments and people and bring your peace upon earth. In his name we pray, amen. May we come now to our time of prayer. I'll invite you to turn in your hymn books to our prayer hymn number 219, What Child Is This?
Let us pray. Eternal God, in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, we come in this time of prayer to the foot of the throne of your grace. And as we, on this second Sunday of Advent, continue the journey to Christmas, might we not hurry to fast? Might we not want to get so quickly to Christmas that we do not prepare ourselves? Prepare ourselves to understand more deeply the gift that has been given? To run too quickly to the end of the story rather than seeing the hopes of people of generations and centuries that looked for the hope before they realized it? But to find in our lives, O oh God, that it is in the waiting that we are allowed to look inside. And looking inside, we discover more about ourselves and about you than when we madly rush onto Christmas. And so, God, we gather here this morning in your house with your people. And we ask now that we might take these next moments of silence to simply ask, oh God, how may each one of us more completely wait to look inside before we move on and that we might find our lives prepared as they've never been prepared before because we've taken the time at Advent to stop and to remember the power of this great story that shall soon unfold again. So hear, O oh God, now our hearts in these next moments of silence and prayer. Thank you, O Lord, if even but a moment to stop in busy lives to prepare ourselves more fully for the coming once more of the birth of Jesus Christ. And so now we affirm our faith together, O God, by the words that Christ has taught us that we might pray this day even as we say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not unto temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.
May the ushers come forward as we receive our morning's gifts, tithes, and offerings.
listen and receive a reading from the Word of God. Create in us a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within us, according to your grace and mercy. May we affirm our faith with joy and a willing spirit as we hear the scripture from Luke chapter 2, verses 25 through 32. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, looking forward to the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit rested on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Guided by the Spirit, Simeon came into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what was customary under the law, Simeon took him in, took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Master, now you are dismissing your servant in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. This is God's word to God's people. May we pray. Glorious God, we give you thanks and praise for the reading of your word that we come together in your presence, that it might be more than word that we might have ears to hear and a willingness to receive that through it our hearts and our lives will be ever transformed having met you and you in our presence through Jesus Christ our Savior in whose name we pray Amen. Amen We're all familiar with the Christmas story It's a message we've heard countless times throughout the ages We know that Christmas is about God's self-revelation through Jesus to the world that it would be forever changed and redeemed as Emmanuel, God with us, was born. Now God appearing to, her people, uh, appearing to people resulting in a change or bringing forth redemption isn't anything new. If you look through the Old Testament, we see stories with Abraham and Hagar, Moses, Jacob, Elijah, and countless others who had experienced God face to face or in his presence. And the result was astounding. And not to mention the countless numbers of people whose lives have been changed throughout the ages since the birth of Jesus, having had encountered him personally in their hearts. And when they experienced him, a change was brought. Take, for example, the story of Achion Krameric. Many of you probably don't know the name, but you know her work. She's a brilliant poet, musician, but most known for her vibrant paintings of faith. She explains that she had a spiritual encounter with Jesus when she was at the ripe old age of four. And she says that she had claimed to have been taken up and visited heaven. By the age of 12, her paintings were world-renowned as she attempted to help people realize and experience God through her eyes as she painted vivid expression of that which she had seen and witnessed firsthand. Now in her early 20s, Akin says that her goal is to be an inspiration to people, to be the gift that God desired for her to be. Yet the interesting part of the story is that in her upbringing, she didn't come from a Christian home. Her parents were atheists. She had no talk of religion, no understanding of Christianity, never went to talk. The spiritual was not a component of her childhood. Yet there, she was met. Since then, her entire family has converted to Christianity, but still the home isn't where they receive spiritual teaching. How did God break through to a four-year-old in an atheistic home? God knows the specifics. But what is certain, 
that when Akian experienced Jesus, her life and the lives of those closest to her were never the same from that moment forward. Yet this is the Christmas story. How an intimate encounter with Jesus the Christ can change a world and can change a culture one heart at a time. Look at Simeon and his response. When he sees the parents of Jesus bringing Jesus to the temple, he cried out and proclaimed in glory. As a baby was laid in a manger, this was no longer about God coming to a handful of individuals to see specific changes. Rather, at that moment, this became about the God of all creation coming to his creation. God incarnate through the baby Jesus, the Savior to the world, in order to bring a culture and change a culture from sin and despair and slavery and separation from God into a relationship back with God. That's redemption. We know that this baby, this king, this Messiah, the promise of salvation was to be the revelation of God as Simeon proclaimed and to be a light among God's people. Jesus was going to do amazing things. God had heard the cries of his people for so long and now God chose to act. Yet the revelation of God didn't come as people experienced. You know, Jesus wasn't born in the temple. He was born in a manger. Jesus didn't come to wealth and to, to prestige to live among the elite in Jerusalem. He was called to live in lowly Nazareth. He wasn't born to a priest. He was born to a maiden, a peasant. In fact, though people were waiting for a Messiah, no one really knew about Jesus' birth and very few cared anything about it. We hear of some shepherds. Later, when he's a little older, we hear of the wise men or the magi who come. But God was changing the world through him. And only a handful of people like Simeon recognized it. But those who did sang their praises and glory to God. This message of Christ bringing redemption to the world is a message that still rings true and needs to be heard not just at Christmas, but 365 days out of the year. It needs to be lived out by those who receive him as savior to this world, as Simeon did, in order to bring true changes into a world from despair and sin to a life lived in the fullness of Christ, in relationship with God. I believe to change a culture, it does, in fact, start with Christ. You see, because first, Christ informs the culture about God. In Simeon's day, the Jews would go to the temple, they would go to the priests, they would go to the rabbis for wisdom and for teaching and to seek out what God's desires were. And the priests and the rabbis would be informed by the leading of God through the Holy Spirit and through the scriptures. Well, in this passage, we see that Simeon was a devout man. He wasn't a priest. But when he experienced this baby before him, his heart leapt. He knew something was greater. He knew the consolation of Israel, a nice Old Testament way of saying the Messiah, was coming. And it was his hope to see that day before he died. By sending this Messiah, God was telling the world, informing the world of his plans, that God had come to free people from slavery. And for those who received him, God would restore their standing before himself. You know, for today, Christ continues to inform our culture about God's plan for redemption. 
if and when we're willing to receive it and to listen. The message hasn't changed 2,000 years later. It's still the same message. Our approach just changes. And whether we want to hear it or not, the message of Christ is one of good news, of great glory, sung by the angels and shared throughout the Gospels. Christ informs the culture that God, who created the world, had come to redeem it. Christ informs the world that the true king has been born and his kingdom everlasting will be established. It echoes the words of the prophet Isaiah who wrote, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forevermore. See, this message of God that came through Christ informs the world that we hear it in the Gospels. Repent, turn away from sin, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. God had ushered in a new time. Second, Christ transforms the culture back to God. Christ informs Christ transforms. We not only have good news of great joy, our message is not mere words about hope and peace, but rather we're given an opportunity to experience firsthand a transformation that can only come through Christ. A change of heart, a change of attitude, a change of life, a change of everything that we are. 2 Corinthians says it this way, So if anyone is in Christ, there is new creation. Everything old has passed away. The new has come. Imagine if we lived as a new creation where the old had passed away. But so many times we hold on to the things, scars, hurts, pains, whatever. We bottle them up and say, can God really do something new in me if God only knew what I had done? Or we continue to hold or view ourselves as an old creation, not understanding that we are made new indeed. You see, a transformation, I believe, begins with an individual. But as we allow our hearts and our lives and our circumstances to be transformed, it spreads like wildfire. And transformed people can transform a world. This past Thursday, every Thursday we have our, our discussion, our class in the conference room. And this past Thursday, we were continuing our discussion about the disciples. And we began the discussion about Andrew. And as we looked at Andrew... Many people don't know, and Scripture doesn't tell us a lot about Andrew. He's one of the four, you know, the big four. You've got Peter, Andrew, James, and John. And Andrew kind of falls in the background. You don't hear about it very often. But if you ever thought about it, Andrew's the first of the disciples. And it's Andrew in the Gospel of John who introduces Peter to Jesus. He says to his brother, come here, I want you to meet someone. It's Andrew who at the feeding of the 5,000 says, here, Here's a boy with loaves and fishes. Jesus, what, what can you do? It's Andrew who says, or who Philip approaches and says, this person wants to talk to, has a question, wants to talk to Jesus. Can you do something about it? And Andrew says, come on, let's go. But if you think about it, when Andrew introduced Peter to Jesus, Peter's life was forever changed. When Jesus said, get off the boat and I will make you fishers of men. Without Andrew making that step, to bring forth a transformation, imagine how different the church would look. Where would it be today? It says, you know, Peter, I'll never deny you, and denies him three times. 
Peter is the one who at Pentecost stood up and proclaimed the gospel, proclaimed the good news that said nearly 3,000 were added to the, their number that day at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. You see, as Christ transforms us, we hopefully will then transform the world around us. The culture isn't just influenced, but begins to change as we who are changed live in it, participate in it, rub shoulders with people in this culture. However, for whatever reason, sometimes it feels Christians fail more often than not to be a positive influence in culture. We fail to proclaim the good news that Jesus can, in fact, and has, in fact, redeemed the world. As Jesus said, we're to be salt and we're to be light. Salt and light are effective. I don't know about you, but I have found salt doesn't, very, doesn't do very much good if you just keep it in the shaker. What good is light if it's not brought into the darkness? We must recognize that the world I believe beyond the shadow of a doubt is a mission field. And we're called the Great Commission. Go therefore into all the world and make disciples of Jesus Christ. We have it on every room in our church here. And as we always remember, we go because we know we go not alone. At Christmas, don't we celebrate Emmanuel, God with us? God is there every step of the way. Third, Christ forms a new culture where God alone might reign. Christ's birth was a signal of something new. His kingdom would replace the kingdoms of this world where peace and goodness and glory would reign high. Christmas is the announcement that this kingdom of heaven, this kingdom of God was breaking through and a new world would begin. Let the world never forget who the creator is for God and Christ has come to reclaim his creation. Wow. God of all creation has come to reclaim that which was God's all along. He never let it go. Furthermore, I believe we can never forget that Jesus, as king over his kingdom, has called us to participate. Not to be onlookers, not to be passive, but to be actively involved in sharing the good news and bringing forth a kingdom and changing a culture. For this we confidently say with the writer of Revelation, a song that we sing in Handel's Messiah, the Hallelujah Chorus, the kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. We love the Hallelujah Chorus, don't we? Beautiful words and very true. In order that this culture, one of redemption, take hold, we have a choice to be loyal and faithful and obedient to step out into that culture, into a culture where God through Christ reigns high, or we can continue to live in a culture that rejects God or that puts God kind of on the sidelines. You see, so many Christians, I think, live their life this way. That God is some out there, distant, foreign, you know, entity, whatever, not active, not engaging, not personal. That God, this force, set in motion some laws for nature. But the creator of all things came in person to seek and save the world. God got involved with his creation. The potential is there. The question is whether we are willing to get into the game or not. 
will we who are transformed be willing to bring forth a transformation in the world around us? And you know, it doesn't take a lot. We don't need to look the world over, though we are called to. Sometimes all you need to do is look in your workplace. Or maybe you need to look at the culture in your house. Or maybe you need to look at the culture within your heart. There's a professor at Duke University, Stanley Howarus, and he says, it's hard to remember that Jesus didn't come to make us safe, but rather to make us disciples. Jesus didn't come to make us safe, but rather to make us disciples. The message of Christmas is found in Christ is that the kingdom of this world is becoming the kingdom of God. The message of Christmas is as the old hymn says, Jesus who died shall be satisfied and earth and heaven be one. Jesus has laid claim to this earth. God's got it in his hands. The kingdom has come. The king has been born. And God is operating in a much bigger agenda than we can ever imagine. I believe the message for Christmas, the message for each day, becomes whether we are willing to live in and participate by faith in this new kingdom. To be God-centered, spirit-led, Christ-reigning culture. There's an article that I read, a friend of mine shared with me on Friday from a newspaper. Years, in, years ago it was written, and I want to share with you just one paragraph, or part of a paragraph. For those who believe separation of church and state is not enough, that the world would be better off with no church at all, ask yourself this question. How many hospitals, universities, orphanages, homeless and abuse shelters have been founded? It's the inclusion of the word Catholic, Baptist, Presbyterian, Christian, in the name of so many of these institutions that proves by actions, not just words, who really cares for the suffering of mankind and desires to make the world a better place. You see, it is our words and our actions. It is the good news, the promise for hope, the promise for peace, the promise that Christ, the King, has come. I want to encourage you today to live in that promise, to share the good news in word and indeed, and that change will be seen in the culture around us. I know for a fact. May we pray. Glorious God, we give you thanks and praise that through Jesus the Christ we have been saved. That through that promise of your Son that we have been redeemed. That in you alone will this world truly be changed. As we seek to know you more, to be transformed, to soften our hearts, to give us a heart to love and not for spite, to give us a heart for forgiveness and not for vengeance, to give us a desire to share your grace and your mercy, especially with our enemies and those we just don't like very much. Gracious God, thank you that you have forgiven even one like me and one like us. 
to know we'll never be perfect, but be perfectly forgiven through you. For this we sing our praises this day, through Jesus Christ our Savior. Amen. I want to invite you to stand as we join in our hymn of dedication, 245, the first Noel. We'll sing the first, third, and fifth verse. to the peace that Christ brings, that we hold fast to one another's hands as we go forth to be a community, to bring a light into this world.
to show redemption and grace through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now may we go forth to love and to serve in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, now and forever. Amen. Amen. Amen.